Hello and welcome to Embassy City Church Podcast. This is a place where all people can experience the love of God through the Word of God. Our prayer is that you will be inspired and transformed. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, everybody. I love you. So good to see you. So grateful that you're here. Hey, do I have your permission to just jump right into this message this weekend? Like, like there's certain messages that the Lord gives me that I just want to jump right into. If you're a first-time visitor and I haven't met you yet, please come to Guest Central. I'd love the opportunity to hug your neck and just greet you uh, before you leave. Uh, we have been in a series called Growth Spurt. How many people have been here for, like, the whole thing? Seventh week, we're talking about Growth Spurt. How many people feel like you're growing? Like, you feel like there's some things that are popping up? It's fantastic. All right. Uh, This weekend will be no different. I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. I have a lot of scripture to read to you, and that means you have a lot to deal with, okay? The reason why I'm reading scripture for you is because uh, the Bible is best received from the actual words that were written. And a lot of times uh, uh, churches can get to the point where they stop reading scripture and more oftentimes than not simply refer to scripture. And so you get into a lot of what the Bible says this and the Bible says that. And instead of just reading the Bible, we reference the Bible. This is where bad theology starts creeping into our communities of faith. Because uh, you get to the point where people start saying stuff like, well, you know, the Bible says God doesn't like ugly. And you're like, what part of, I'm not sure I know which proverb that is in the Bible. So I, want, I like to read scripture uh, because uh, there is something that we are going to address today uh, that is very, very sobering. It was very, it's very, very sad Um, I don't use this word often, but the the episode we're going to read today is downright nefarious. Look it up. It's the story of uh, David and his sin with Bathsheba. Maybe you've heard about it, but I just want to read it. Because I think when you read it, you'll stop watching Netflix. Like, this is enough scandal to retire Olivia Pope. (laughs) I truly believe that. Second Samuel chapter number 11, starting at the first verse. Here's what it says. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He, went, uh, he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, that dude that's super loyal to you, that's fighting on the battlefield right now. It's not what it says in the text. I just thought I'd just insert that. <laughs> then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, 
He slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after her menstrual period. Now, can I just pause right here? The writers of 2 Samuel wanted to make it very, very clear that you know that what happened next couldn't have been nobody's but David's. She had just finished her purification from her menstrual period? Okay, writer. Just had to let us know that. I really appreciate you. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a DM saying, I mean, (laughs) says message. I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So I confess what I just did, man. Oh, I can't believe it. I got to get this right with the homie. Nope. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Really, David? <laughs> hey, man, how's it going down out there in the battlefield? You, shoot, you shooting everybody, man? Y'all are, y'all are out there killing it, man. Literally. <laughs> killing people. Then he told Uriah, go home and relax, man. Take, you know, just go chill at, at your house with your wife and relax, man. You know, go home and relax. Relax. <laughs> David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. How can I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today. David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then he wouldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Now that's some loyalty. When you get a person completely drunk and they like, anyway, (laughs) not going home. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, this is dirty, and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah at the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. Can I pause? This is one time I wish Uriah was just nosy. You know what I'm saying? Just walking back to the battlefield like, I wonder what this letter said. <laughs> He'll never see this letter. But he was loyal and he was faithful. So Joab assigned Uriah uh, to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out, of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. 
Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops get so close to the city? Didn't they know where, uh, didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech the son of Gideon killed at the beds by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Here go David. Oh, man. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged. Oh, can't believe this happened. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. You low down, dirty, dog. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Chapter number 12, verse number 1. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but the little lamb he had brought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. Then David, then Nathan said to David, <laughs> Let me go color purple. <laughs> you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel, saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. Told y'all, y'all can turn Netflix off. <laughs> this right here? You did it secretly. 
but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this. Nevertheless, this is a tough verse to read. Because you have shown utter contempt for the, Lord, for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. That's heavy. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is Confession is Good for the Soul. Confession is good for the soul. Would you say that with me? Confession is good for the soul. Bow your heads. Let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, give us the strength to confess. Amen. I wanted to read it to you because um, going back and reading it, I, it sinks in a different way. It hits different. You start to realize that a man anointed by God could have got caught up in something as crazy as committing adultery with one of his soldier's wives. And then instead of just confessing to what he had done, attempts to try to cover it up. Then it turns into something completely different. It's no longer even about adultery. Now it's about murder. Now it's about lies. Now it's about deceit. All because David couldn't confess that he had a temptation. Now, ladies and gentlemen, without using any word of knowledge, without using any type of prophetic gifting, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that every single person in this room has a weakness. Every single person in this room has had temptations. And if you feel that you are one of the rare people on earth that have never been tempted, and or do not have a weakness, your sin is pride. Temptation is normal. But the enemy, the enemy of our souls attempts to uh, trick us into thinking that they are abnormal and something that we are dealing with and not others. You will not be growing spiritually if you cannot deal with temptation. So I want to give you the three signs that you've grown spiritually as it relates to dealing with your temptations and dealing with your failures slash sins slash mistakes <laughs> slash hangups slash my bads whatever category you like to put them in, you know you're growing spiritually. When point number one, please write this down, you admit you're wrong. 
You know you are growing spiritually when you can admit you are wrong. You don't try to blame shift. You don't try to cast it off on anybody else. You own the fact that you are the one that did something. Here's what it says back in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 12, verse number 13. Then David did what? He confessed to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Here's what I love about David. David just owned it. The prophet didn't have to come to him and, and give him this whole parable and say, hey, there was a guy, rich man, a poor man. The, the rich man had a lot of sheep and goats. The poor man only had one little ewe lamb, only one little goat, and he cradled it like it was his own baby daughter. And then uh, uh, the rich man took the, the, the poor man's goat, I mean uh, sheep, and, and, and cut it and killed it and gave it to everybody to eat. And David go, man, that, that, that person should die for that. And have to repay everything. And then Nathan goes, that's you. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? Right. Well, well you, David, that was a metaphor. Uh, let me go a little bit slower. You're the rich man. Uriah is the poor man. And the little baby, lamb, that's Bathsheba. What? I, I have no clue what you're talking about. Bro, we have the history on your computer. I don't know who. <laughs> Somebody else must have. I don't know what that is, but I see four months of DMs back and forth with you and her. Now, I don't, you know what? Somebody must have hacked. You know, hacking, it's a big thing out here now. And, I, you know, somebody might have hacked my phone. Don't nobody know you to be hacking your phone. <laughs> you ain't doing nothing that special. David didn't make it hard for the prophet. He just went, it's you. You're the man. And he went, yep. And he got to keep the kingdom for that right there. Now, if you go back and you, and you read what Saul did to lose the kingdom and what David did and kept the kingdom, you would say, this is not fair. The only thing, Saul did two things wrong. He sacrificed when he wasn't supposed to, and he didn't kill a king that he was supposed to. David has committed adultery, murdered, lied, and deceived. Saul loses the kingdom, and David keeps it for one reason and one reason only. Saul would never confess that what he did was wrong, and David readily confessed that he was wrong. He didn't try to hide it. See, see, when you do something wrong and then try to hide it, it no longer becomes about what you did, and it becomes about what you hid. Ask Adam and Eve. It was no longer about the fact that they bit the fruit. It's that they hid and God had to come find them. Okay, let me break it down for you. How many people in here got kids? How many people deal more with interrogation about what they hid <laughs> than what they did? And by the time you get the truth out of them, you're like, bro, why didn't you just say you took the car? I filled it up on Sunday. Monday, I get ready to go to work. A full quarter of the tank is gone. And you wanted me to believe that somebody broke in the garage and siphoned the gas? Because I'm dumb and I've never been 15? 
So now your consequence is no more Fortnite ever. And as soon as you turn 18, get out of my house. Right? Like what? <laughs> the consequences are more severe because you hit it yes. than they ever were about the fact that you did it. Just confess. Here's what it says in uh, 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 9. But if we confess our sins to him, who? God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. This is vertical confession. We all need to be able to confess to the Lord that we were wrong, that we blew it. Because when we confess to the Lord that we're wrong, he forgives us right then for our sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. The moment you confess to God, I have sinned before you, he goes, done. I forgive you. Now, humans can't do that, and we want justice, and we want all these things to happen. But God, God is sovereign. God is loving. He is waiting for you to open up your mouth and say, I was wrong on this. And he goes, if you can see it, I can forgive it. If you can say it, I can forgive it. Thank you so much for being honest right now. Thank you for not hiding from me. It's the vertical way that we clear up our relationship with God. But it's not the only way that we become free. I know a lot of people that only vertically confess, but they never horizontally confess. Your vertical confession gets you right with God. Your horizontal confession gets you right with people. And I have a lot of people that are in church that always try to throw out this thing. Well, listen, I ain't got to talk to nobody about my problems. I'm not going to be confessing my sins to people because they're judgmental and they're doing all this. I have my own personal relationship is what they try to pull out there. I got my own personal relationship with God. I ain't got to tell you nothing. Me and God get together and he sorts me out. No, 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 no. The reason why Nathan had to come to David externally is because David stopped listening to God Internally. I'm going to say it again. The reason why Nathan had to come to David externally is because he stopped listening to God internally. And God loves us so much, he he does not want to leave us disconnected from him, so he will send somebody you know or sometimes somebody you don't know with a prophetic word that is so far up in your business you looking around like, he will catch you at an airport terminal in between connecting flights while you're trying to eat a pretzel. And somebody will walk up to you out of the blue and be like, hey, I'm not sure, please, oh my God, I don't know why. I just feel like God, I just, I know this is probably going to sound crazy, but I just feel like God's telling me to tell you that you need to stop running. And you was on that flight because you were fugitive. I just feel like the Lord's saying something about turn yourself in. I'm so I don't even know you. I swear, I just feel like the Lord is prompting me. I went to Bethel for a conference, and now I'm just doing stuff. Um, <laughs> only my church friends get that. Uh, so 
he loves you so much that if you stop listening internally, he will keep sending stuff externally to get you to go. I was wrong. He's like, great. Halfway there. Let's get the cross. You got it vertically. Now I need you to hit this horizontally. Well, I don't need to. I don't need to be sharing all that with people. James says something different. Chapter number five, verse number 16. Confess your sins to who? Each other. And pray for each other so that you might be what? Louder. Louder. When you confess vertically, you get forgiven. When you confess horizontally, you get healed. I know a lot of people that could only confess vertically, but they're always still in the same cycle of sin because they've never done it horizontally. Therefore, they are not healed. God has never called you to live outside of community. You need other people to be okay. You are not good enough to be on your own. If Jesus was God's word wrapped in flesh and he wouldn't do life alone, you are not that good. Jesus had three people with him uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had three people with him in the garden. He refused to do life alone. And here's why some people do life alone. Well, I can't hang out with them because they're not, they not on my level. Was there anybody on Jesus' level? If you was one of Jesus' disciples, could you actually be on his level? The fact that he created you disqualifies you from being on his level. He wasn't looking for people to be on his level. He was looking for people to be in his lane. You don't need nobody else to be the CEO of the corporation just like you and know what it's like to have manage 11 people and have to pay taxes at the end of the year. You can get with Joey the mechanic and go watch a movie and be okay with your whole life. You do not have to do life alone. It's a pitiful excuse to say it's lonely at the top. My, my strong retort to that is your fault for going up there by yourself. Don't mind tell you to take that walk by yourself. Jesus didn't take it. What you doing? Telling you, read your Bible now. <laughs> this message got me turned all the way up, okay? Right? Listen, just confess it. Confess one to another. Why? So that you can be healed. Man, that good old King James is down in me. Let me just say it one good time for the King James people. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent, righteous prayer availeth much. Listen, you can't pray for anybody fervently or effectually if you don't tell them what you're going through. Listen, I got this verse in my 20s, and it changed all my altar calls. People start trying to come into the altar. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) And I was like, oh, me, come, come. And I was like, what would you like prayer for? And they're like, just, you know, just a lot. Then I'm like, okay, what would you like to me to specifically pray for you about? And they would go, uh, just whatever the Lord shows you. 
But I had got that verse. So I was like, yeah, no, no. Uh-uh, Lord ain't showing me nothing. You got too much snot coming out your nose not to know why you down here right now. You know why you down here. That word of convicted, you done got all the way down to the altar. Now you got amnesia. I don't actually know. What? Just say it. Because I can't pray for you fervently. I cannot pray for you strongly. I cannot intercede on your behalf if you will not tell me what's going on. Just say it. Porn. Great. It's out there. Whoop-de-doo. You ain't the only one. I wanted to commit suicide. Well, welcome to the club. Life sucks. Let's go. Uh, y'all got me riled up. I don't know what happened. I'm trying to get rid of a spirit that's trying to keep people in silence when we're supposed to be the blood-bought, redeemed, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost Church of Jesus Christ. And hear me, you struggling with a sin does not disqualify you. You acting like you ain't struggling does. I'm trying to help somebody in here. We got too many people falling out of ministry, having moral failures, and being disqualified from ministry, not because of what they did, because of what they're hiding. You're not the only one that wants to jump off the rails. Just admit you want to jump off the rails. So admit you're wrong, please, so I can lower my voice. <laughs> Mercy. Woosah, woosah. Point number two, please write this down. You know you're growing spiritually when you accept the consequences. <laughs> There are consequences to our actions. There are consequences to our behavior. There are consequences for sin. And you admitting you're wrong will not make the consequences go away. I see people so shocked. Well, I don't understand. I said I was sorry. And she still left me. She don't trust you no more. And just because you repented and got right with God does not mean that she got to stay with you. Your consequences is you might have lost a relationship. Your consequences is you might not get that job back. Your consequences is you might not make that amount of money anymore. I don't know what you're into, but I'm just telling you. You got to accept your consequences. God told David something, oh, devastating. Your baby going to die. And David was like, oh, what? My baby going to die. So David went to fasting and praying and laying before the Lord, hoping that maybe if I fast and pray and intercede, he'll let this child live. And the child still died. Now, this is very, very sensitive because I know that, that we might have people in here that have lost a child. Maybe you had a miscarriage. You could have had a stillborn. I don't want you to go through life thinking that what I'm teaching about right now applies to you. It does not. God, would, grace has covered Amen. 
everything. If you can get into it, his grace can get you out of it. And God's not holding it against an innocent child. But in this situation, it happened. And David prayed and fasted and then got word from his servants that the baby died. And as soon as the baby died and he got that information, he popped up, washed his face and got something to eat. And his servants were like, how are you? You were all fat. And then the pay, and now you, how you? And here's his response. He said, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day. Look at this perspective. But he cannot return to me. That baby's in heaven. I, I, will, I will go to him one day. But, but, but he's not going to return to me. David accepted his consequence, and he did not try to blame it on God. If you knew how many times I sat as a counselor, sitting across from somebody who has made a mistake, and faced with the consequence of that mistake, try to spin the narrative you know what? I don't know why God is allowing me to go through this situation, but I just say, not my will, but thine, he, but, but thine be done. No, pause. Wait a minute. I, bring that back. I can't let you disrespect Jesus like this on a good old Wednesday while I'm counseling you. Um, Jesus said that because he was sinless, spotless, blameless, and he was trying to figure out is there any other way we can get out of this without me dying? Never the will, uh, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Yeah. You? <laughs> nah, you robbed the bank. <laughs> we got the video footage, and it's a 4K camera. It ain't even grainy. That was you. They, they enhanced the image, and you got clearer. You didn't get grainier. You robbed the bank. And you going to do four years for it. Well, you know what? I don't know why the Lord wants me to have a prison ministry. The Lord did not want you to have this level of prison ministry. Your mistake has produced a consequence, and you being saved don't change the fact that you got to deal with some stuff that you did. I'm trying to help somebody grow up. You have to own your mistakes. You have to accept your consequences. It doesn't mean you're not a man of God. It doesn't mean you're not a woman of God. It doesn't mean God's favor is not on you. It just means that you have a record and you need extra grace to get through life. God didn't arrange for you to rob a bank to give you a more intimate relationship with him. What you did is got desperate and decided this 7-Eleven is vulnerable and I'm going to go knock it over. Accept the consequence. Which brings me to point number three. You know you're having a spiritual growth spurt. You know you've grown spiritually around this topic when you repent. Point blank period. Just repent. 
Repent is not admitting you did wrong. Repenting is not accepting your consequence. Repenting is thinking differently about the way you've been living your life in light of the way God's telling you to live your life. Well, I've said I'm sorry a million times, but I just keep doing it because you haven't repented yet. (laughs) You keep experiencing the same cycle because you haven't changed your mind about what you're doing. You're not even sad about what you've done. You're just embarrassed you keep getting caught. (laughs) See, I got a PhD in this, okay? I'm not saying this as a person that's like, yeah, I've been, get this, because I've I've got, no, no. I've had a porn addiction. People, I've got fired from jobs behind it. It has caused conflict in my marriage. I had to get to the point where I had to change my mind about the way I was thinking and stop living with a victim mentality and going, I don't understand why I keep doing it. I wasn't letting enough light in. He was forgiving me, but I wasn't being healed because I wasn't letting enough horizontal relationship hold me accountable. So if you don't know how to repent, I have a solution for you. (laughs) Psalm 51. David wrote the best repentance chapter of all time. Like the hit? Here it go. (laughs) Have mercy on me, oh God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you only have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. It might have been pleasurable in my sight, but now that I see it from your perspective, I realize it's evil. You you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Go ahead and repent, David. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins, man. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. I saw what you did to Saul. I don't want to see none of that. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. That's a good... 
Anybody beside me that some days you are unwilling to obey? You just wake up in the morning like, I'm going to do something today. <laughs> That's when you need, like, Lord, would you please make me willing, make me a willing participant in your precepts, your commands, your statutes, whatever. Make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. That's, ooh, this man. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. Can I pause right there? Here's what David is saying. If, if, if me putting down my crown and punishing myself for 30 days would make you feel better, I'd do it. But that's not what you want. You don't want lip service. You don't even want me to act like I'm doing the right thing. What you want is change. I don't want you to talk about it. I want you to be about it. He says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Just repent, change your mind, get some help, stop acting like you got it all together. You don't. Stop acting like you got all the answers you want. I know you're special and you make a lot of money and you got influence and prestige and people always depending on you and everybody come to you for counseling. Who are you going to? You got to line out the door of people that sit at your feet and just soak up your wisdom. And then you turn around on E. Empty tank. And try to deal with your situations. Just confess. I don't know what to do. I need some help. Vertically, I want to get this right. God, forgive me. Horizontally, I want to get this right. God, heal me. You come down to the altar, just say it. Nobody's going to be shocked. The people that come down here, the friends that pray, they hear all kind of stuff. And with a blank face, they'd be like, oh, OK, you good? And the person, I never told nobody this. Oh, you're not going to like what I got to say. Who I'm going to tell you. Can't stop smoking blunts. <laughs> and the person at the altar is like, what? great. Can I pray for you now? And he's like, you're not shocked? No. I used to smoke weed too. Well, let's pray then. I don't like this one. I've been into self-harm. And I've been cutting on myself. And I try to kill myself. And I know, you know, the Lord got a plan for my life and all that. And I've been trying to take my life. And 
I'd be cutting up here because I don't want to really get down here. <laughs> then that person lifts up their sleeve and goes, oh, you too? Yeah, the Lord delivered me from that. I was depressed, suicidal. Here, I'll show you my scars. They could be going through the same thing you're going through. They might not have ever heard of your particular brand of sin. But it ain't special. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 13, there is no temptation that is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. I'm struggling. Yay, you're human. I'm tempted. Yay. Everybody else is too. I failed. You're in great company. Not a soul in here that hasn't made a mistake. But we keep coming back into the light because we know there's safety there. If you keep it in the dark, it grows. The moment it comes out of your mouth, it shrinks. I end with this. Confession is so powerful that they even have what is called at the end of life, deathbed confessionals. You ever heard of these? The reason why these are so powerful is because no one was created to die with a secret. So even some of the most notorious gangsters, mobsters, get to the end of their life and they're like, come here. Closer. I have to tell you something. Closer. I have to tell you something. That jingle me. My time's coming to an end. I just want you to know where Jimmy Hoffa's body is. Because nobody's designed to die with a secret. You are killing yourself internally, trying to hold on to something that should come out of your mouth. Confession is good for the soul. And I hope yours would be free today. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information on our church, please go to www.embassycity.com. We would love to hear from you. Our prayer is that you have been inspired and transformed. Have a wonderful day and come back again.